Good evening, all. It's good to see you all. My name's Ed, if I haven't met you. Uh, and please keep your Bibles open, or your sheets open, or your phone open. Um, we're finishing the book of John. If you've not been with us, um, the Gospel of John, um, one of the great accounts of the Lord Jesus. And so, uh, why don't we pray again, and um, we'll get into it. Father God, we thank you so much for the day you've given us. We thank you for bringing us here safely tonight to be your people. And we thank you that you're a God who speaks. So please speak to all of us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are people who watch Marvel movies. And there are people who watch Marvel movies till the end of the credits. The post credit scenes are a cultural phenomenon. If you've never got past the end of the movie, you should go and do that. All but one of the Marvel Universe movies have a post credit scene. Do you know which one doesn't? Well done. I didn't dare ask the other congregations. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy 2 has how many? Oh, man. <laughs> You're on fire. <laughs> now... I don't need to tell you this, they're not bloopers, right? Like, remember the time when you used to watch Toy Story and they had the bloopers, animated bloopers? I don't know what that is. But anyway, they're not bloopers. What the Marvel guys want to do is they want to connect you and me to the next part of the story. So it's very deliberate, isn't it? They're, they're dropping in that scene to make you know that that story hasn't finished. And that's because stories don't end. Like in life, the story doesn't end. There's more. Now, in John chapter 20, it was the great conclusion of John's gospel. And so last week we read this verse. John says, these are written, this book has been written. Why? So that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that if you believe, you may have life in his name. It's a great sentence, one of the greatest sentences of the Bible. What it means is this, God came to earth in Jesus. That means if you leave tonight and you know Jesus, you can say, I know God, and you're not being arrogant. You can say confidently, with authority, you know the creator of the universe. And that Jesus who came to earth, he is your Messiah, or another word for that is Saviour. And because he faithfully and obediently went to a cross because he loved his father, he laid down his life for you so that not one moment in the future will you face the wrath of God for your sins. You have life, eternal life. That saviour is not dead. Never think Jesus can be dead. He can't be dead and a saviour. He is alive. And so the great conclusion of John's Gospel is this. If Jesus is God, he's the saviour of the world. Believe in him. But it's not the end of the story. See, what John is doing in chapter 21 is he is tying off some loose ends. He tells us what happens to Peter, what happens to the disciples, all of that stuff. But it's so much more than this. The end of John, John 21, it's a post-credit scene. 
What he's doing is he's connecting us to the next part of the story. Because never think Christianity is Thomas and the disciples getting the right answer and living happily ever after. That's not Christianity. What the gospel is, is a living parable of what life is like when Jesus is alive. And that's why we've called tonight the community of the risen king. This is about us. Those of us who trust Jesus, what does the community of the risen king look like? I've got four points on the bottom of the slides. Let's have a look at verse 2. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, two other disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said. We're coming with you, they said. They went out, got into a boat, and that night they caught nothing. We're on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you're a Bible reader, you might be having real bad deja vu right now because you've heard this story before and you'd be totally right. If you've read Luke 5, it parallels this story. You've got a boat, fishermen, all night fishing, catch nothing. Jesus says, try the other side of the boat. The disciples say, Ugh. And they catch a whole truckload of fish, right? That's the story, right? But there's a difference in this story. Did you pick up what the difference was? Jesus isn't in the boat this time. And those disciples are not random blokes who fish. They're Christians. They're Christians who have been with Jesus three and a half years. Do you remember the last three and a half years of their life? Incredible. They have followed this man. They have seen him do sign after sign. They have watched people become Christians and they've seen a whole bunch of people run away from Jesus. They've been tested. They've been taught by Jesus. They've had monumental ups, catastrophic failures. Jesus, their friend, their teacher and their Lord died. They watched him die. And then he came back to life and said, touch me, I'm alive. Their head is spinning. They are restless. They are not yet the men of Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit comes in them. Can you imagine being Peter? Three and a half years. And then publicly you say you'll never deny Jesus. And then you deny him three times. Bang, bang. And everyone knows about it. Peter's sitting there. His head is spinning. His friends know he's a failure. He's restless. What do you do when you're restless? What do you guys do? You eat chocolate, right? Apart from eating chocolate, what do you do when you're restless? What I do, I walk up and down my office and I talk to people. The staff all know that if I'm walking the offices, I'm very restless. Some of you, you just binge Netflix. You don't want to study, you don't want to think about life, you just binge Netflix. Some of you just eat burgers, lots of them, right? Like Some of you go bike riding, some of you study, some of you read a book, some of you work and work and work and work and work. Because when we're restless, we can't sit. We, are, we just have to do activity. Why does Peter and his six friends do when they're restless? They go fishing. They've just got to be busy. They can't sit and wait. 
And what happens when they go fishing? Nothing. They come home with an empty net. And then this random dude on the side of the ocean starts talking to them. They can't see who he is. They don't know who he is. All they hear is the same thing you and I say when we meet another fisherman on the lake or at the beach and we go, caught anything? No. Try it over there. That's not what's going on here, is it? You see, Jesus, he knew there was an entire school of fish on the starboard side. And when Jesus spoke, the creator, they listened. And those fish jumped into the net. It was a sign of who was speaking. It's John who understands the sign, isn't it? Look at verse 7. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and he plunged into the sea. It's incredible, isn't it? John, he gets it. Peter, he acts. Peter, probably not wearing a lot, right? Don't imagine it too much. Okay, he's just fishing. He's totally like thing. He grabs the shirt. He puts on a shirt. He jumps into the sea. And I don't know if he swims 100 metres or he crawls in kind of metre deep water. But you've got this picture of this man just desperate to get to Jesus on the shore. So different, isn't it? If you know your Bible and read Luke 5, do you remember that story? When Peter realised it was Jesus, Peter said to Jesus, Go away from me, Jesus. Get away from me, Jesus. I'm a sinner. I can't cope with you. What does he do in John 21? He knows Jesus has died for him, and so he needs to be near Jesus. You know what image I had as I was praying and preparing this? The prodigal son coming back to his father in that parable. Peter flies to Jesus. Now the boat gets to shore finally, and they count the fish. One, two, three, 153 fish. It's an incredible sign of God's generosity. But I actually think there's more going on here. If you go back to Luke 5, you remember Jesus gave the disciples a job. And the job to the disciples was be fishers of men. So this parable, sorry, this miracle of catching all this fish was a sign of their future job. And I think he does it again to say, boys, that wasn't temporary. That wasn't a three and a half year job. This is your job till you die. Even though I'm not in the boat with you, you are going to be fishers of men, even though I'm going. They're going to help people move from the sea to life. The sea in the Old Testament was the place of chaos. And to be saved from the sea into the kingdom is a picture of what it means to become a Christian from darkness to light, all by hearing the gospel. Look at verse 12. Come and have breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. It's beautiful, isn't it? Jesus serves them. Just like in the upper room. They're totally failures, fishermen. He gives them 153 fish. They are thoroughly exhausted. He gives them breakfast. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's not proving the resurrection. He's not doing the Lord's Supper as you'll do later tonight. He's just revealing his nature. 
He's God. You want to know what God's like? Here it is. God cares for his own. He sticks with them. He feeds them. He protects them. He never abandons them. And so the disciples, they were restless, and it's replaced by godly fear. They are in awe of Jesus. They are speechless. They are in love with him. They're not like, oh, whatever. No, they're in the presence of God and they love it. I don't know what you think about your friends in orange. What word describes them? I think restless is a fair word, yeah? Think about your mates from the last seven days. What what have they been up to? They've been up to stacks. They went out last night. They went out Friday night. They're probably working. They're probably resting. They're just trying to do life to the best they can at the moment. It's summer in orange. They're restless. They're doing activity to kind kind of fill the gap of life. And if you're a Christian, you know that that's what you do too. You just fill summer with a whole lot of activities and then a whole bunch of ministry. I don't know how many camps you'll go on in the next month, but probably a few, right? If you're a Christian, you might do a beach mission, you might do another camp. You just get busy because being restless, you've got to do activity. An old dude called Augustine said this, God, you have made us for yourself. Beautiful, isn't it? But our hearts are restless. When you're restless tomorrow morning, when you're worried about what's going to happen Christmas Day, whether mum or dad's going to talk to you or whether what's going to happen this Christmas or whether you're going to see your friends or have a job or what's going to happen, when you're just going through that restlessness of life or next year, what are you going to do? What's your friends going to be like? What's God going to do? Don't turn to busyness. Turn to Jesus. He wants to refresh you. Have breakfast with Jesus. Verse 15. When they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Mate, they are so full of food. They're like, oh, this is so good. And then Jesus says, Peter, stand up. Anyone ever been stood up in a school classroom? It sucks. Peter gets stood up in front of his best mates, right? You know what's going to happen. Everyone knows Peter denied Jesus. Peter's now going to get told off, right? See what happens? Jesus asks him a simple question. Do you love me more than the disciples? What would old Peter have done? Old Peter would have said, no one loves you more than I do, Jesus. I'll lay my life down for you, Jesus. I'm more devoted from him and especially him and Thomas, not even in my league. What's this Peter do? He's broken, isn't he? All he does is confess his love for Jesus. He's changed. There's no boasting. There's no comparison. He entrusts himself to Jesus' knowledge. He says, you know, Jesus, I love you. And then Jesus does it three times. I think we are too quick with forgiveness. I think we just go, dear God, I'm sorry, please forgive me of my sin. Amen. Okay. 
I don't think that's how it works. Hear what Jesus does. He asks the same thing three times. He wants Peter to remember those three denials slowly, painfully. Because what Jesus wants us to do is fail with him. Fail with Jesus. Because as you fail with Jesus and confess your love and affection and repentance and trust, Jesus welcomes him back and us back. How do you know Jesus will take you back when no one else will in your life? His arms were nailed wild open. Whatever you've done in 2021, I imagine it's horrific. You were not willing to come up and tell your church about what you've done this year. I'm not going to tell you what I've done. But I know when I look at the cross, and Jesus isn't on the cross anymore, but when I see his picture on the cross, I know he will welcome me back. Because he went to the cross for my sin. And so he says, fail with me, I will welcome you back. I think Peter needed to hear it three times. And I think some of you need to hear it 30 times. Because Jesus really wants you to fail with him. Not like old Peter, where you come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, let me just justify what I did there. It was her fault. It was his fault. I couldn't help. No, no, no. Not like old Peter. Like new Peter. Hey, Jesus, I love you. I trust you. Never give up because you failed too much. The community of the risen king fails with Jesus. Jono, can I come down a tiny bit? Otherwise I'll get excited and blow up this room. But Peter's story doesn't end with forgiveness, does he? Jesus restores him. Look at verse 15. Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to them, you know that I love you. Here it is. Feed my lambs, he told him. What what Jesus does is he reinstates Peter three times with verbs, not nouns. I'm not going to give you an English lesson, but what a verb is is an action and a noun is a title. So he doesn't say, Peter, be a boss, be a minister, be be a leader. He says, Peter, feed, shepherd, feed. And do you know who the sheep are? My sheep, Jesus' sheep. They're never Peter's sheep. They're never the Pope's sheep. They're never Ed's sheep. They're never Chris's sheep. They're not your growth group leader's sheep. Every single person in Jesus' churches is his sheep. And what he says to Peter is, be proactive, sacrificial, and love them. Do whatever you can to grow them. You willing to do that for the person sitting next to you tonight? You only will do it if you failed with Jesus. Feed God's people with his word. Pray for them, encourage them, rebuke them, protect them, equip them, provide for them. Yes, it applies to Christian leaders. 1 Peter 5, I know that. It applies to your growth group leaders and especially applies to me. But it also applies to every single one of you who have failed with Jesus. You see, the community of the risen king are not forgiven and restored to be statues. That's not the end of the story. You are forgiven to feed, shepherd, 
feed, to love. I love this verse. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I want you to know that every time you pray for the person sitting next to you, every time you ask them how they are, every time you read the Bible with them, every time you say, that's a sin, you should repent, every time you care for one another, every time you ring out to someone, every time you say, I understand you've got COVID, but I'm going to love you for the next 14 days, every time you do that, you, next slide, are part of an unbroken chain of love from Jesus to 2021. Because what have Christians done for 2,000 years? We've loved each other. Someone loved you, someone loved them, someone loved them, and the first person who loved them was the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus makes it very personal, doesn't he, in Peter? Look at verse 18. He says, Peter, I, tr- I tell you truly, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to indicate what, by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, excuse me, he told him, follow me. Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Do you know what that meant for Peter? It would meant that he would follow Jesus. That a point in Peter's life, his arms would be stretched out, there would be a wooden beam put across his shoulder, they would be tied to a wooden beam, and then two big metal nails would be nailed through his wrists. And then Peter would be stuck in a pole in the ground and he would die like Jesus. We don't know if Peter was crucified upside down. You might have heard that rumour, but we don't know. We do know he died. We do know he died as a crucified man. There's a man called Clement in AD 96 who records that Peter was martyred under Nero in Rome. I want you to feel the weight of the words to Peter. Hey, Peter, follow me. And at some point in the next 30 or 40 years, you're going to get crucified. The community of the risen king followed Jesus. It's not pithy, is it? It's not come to church Sunday night, have some fun, go for Maccas, that's cool. No, no. Jesus says, follow me. Wherever your life is, follow him. On his mission, loving his sheep. It's pretty heavy for Peter, isn't it? To know that's your future. So what does Peter do? Peter's not perfect. He's quite competitive, isn't he? We know Peter likes to be the best. So he gets a bit competitive. What does he do? He looks over his shoulder, sees John. So Peter, verse 20, turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. This is the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? Verse 21, when Peter saw John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Will it be easier for him? Have you got something better for him than me? What's his path? Jesus' response is perfect, isn't it? Look at verse 22. If I want him to remain until I come, what is it to you? As for you, follow me. 
Jesus says, Peter, stop looking over your shoulder. Focus on me. You see, Jesus knows the person sitting next to you's story. Jesus knows what they're going through. He knows their future. He knows the life they're called to. Just as he knew what Peter would do and what John would do. Jesus knew that Peter would be given a strategic ministry, Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 11, and then die on a cross like Jesus. And Jesus knew that John would spend 60 years writing letters and be stuck on an island in Patmos and give us revelation. He would have that ministry and he knows exactly what your path is too. He knows if it will be really easy. He knows if it will be really hard. He knows your family. He knows your work. He knows your story. And what Jesus says to you is, don't focus on someone else's story. Focus on Jesus. Why does it matter? If we compare ourselves to others, we can only find despair or pride. I would say nearly all of you are on social media. As you flick through Instagram, you never feel neutral. You always feel despair, they're better than me, or pride, I'm better than them. Because social media is a comparative tool. It's good for sharing information, not knocking it. I'm just saying, what does it do to our heart is it makes us look over our shoulder. And then you say to yourself, oh, it's not fair that they get a boyfriend and I don't. Or their ministry is easy and mine is hard. Or no one asks me to do something and they always are. It's all comparative, isn't it? If your focus is on another person, it will not be on the Lord Jesus. So all you've got to do is catch yourself when your chin's wandering and you're looking at them. Jesus says, no, no, no. Focus on me. I got you. I know your story. Look how John finishes. Verse 25, And there are many other things that Jesus did, which if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. How does John end his book? He doesn't go, well, let me tell you about the next 60 years and all that I do. No, he doesn't, does he? He says, there's only one person you need to look at. It's Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian here tonight, you're part of the community of the risen king. And you're not a statue. And your king says to you, fly to him. Swim to him. Run to him. He says, fail with him. He knows what you've done this year. You can't hide it. You'll fake tonight, that's fine. But you can't hide it with him. And then he says, follow him wherever he calls you to go. And then he says, focus on him because he loves you. Let's pray. Almighty God, we just cannot thank you enough that we are your people. That you know us. And you love us. And we're yours. Just ask that you help us as a team, to run well together, to focus on you together, to follow you together. 
because we're the community of the risen King. Amen.